The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis, we begin to read about the demise of a man named Lot. I've tried to preach on this in the past and more than once because it's so important to us as children of God to realize that the destruction of a child of God does not happen overnight, or I should say it this way, rarely happens overnight. In the 13th chapter, now remember, let me also say this, I said a, the destruction of a child of God. I'm not preaching here about eternal damnation. I'm not preaching here about a reprobate. I'm not preaching about a child of God who became not a child of God. I'm talking about someone who is in heaven today. As I, I say that on the authority of the word of God. We'll see that, Lord willing. In the 13th chapter of Genesis, this is the story of Abraham, who is still called Abram at the time, coming up out of Egypt where he had gone for the famine. Brother John Morgan mentioned that this morning. He fled the promised land where he should have stayed because of a famine, and he went down into Egypt. Egypt is always a bad place to go. Let me just tell you, Egypt is never the right place to go in time of famine or any other time. Egypt is a type of the world. There's other places where we see a family that fled to Edom, okay? Or to Moab, rather, to Moab. Uh, in the book of Ruth, we read about Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons fleeing in time of famine from the promised land, from the land of bread, the house of bread, Bethlehem, into Moab. And there were problems they had there. It was, a, it, was a bad, it was a bad experience. It was bad consequences. Same thing here in the case of Abraham. He never should have left the place where God had told him to go and, to, and where God had chosen to put his blessing. But he did it anyway. And Abraham experienced bad consequences. And so, so did Elimelech and Naomi. Child of God, the lesson here is no matter what the famine may be, you know, there's famines in the kingdom of God sometimes. There's famines in the church. Brother Buddy and I have talked about this before. There have been famines of preaching, good preaching, good sound, loving preaching. There's, been, there's a lot of churches that don't have a preacher right now. There's a famine in the ministry. And there's, there's famine in fellowship sometimes, famine in the sense of uh, uh, the dwindling numbers sometimes in the kingdom of God. But don't flee the kingdom of God just because there's a famine, because there's always problems when you flee from the place where God has chosen to put his favor and where he said, this is where I want you to be. But here we see Abraham having been called out of the, 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 the place where there was no true worship of God, and having been directed by God to leave his family and go into a new place, the land of Canaan, the promised land we call it, in order to worship God, in order to serve God. But in time of famine, he went to 
Egypt. And now in chapter 13, he's come out of Egypt. He's come back from Egypt. And he brings with him all of his family that is with him when he goes into Egypt, particularly a man named Lot, which was his nephew. And he's the one I want to focus on. Because in verse 5 of chapter 13, we read something important to remember about Lot. We're told leading up to this that Abram came up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all, of the, and all that he had and Lot with him, and they went to a place called Bethel, which means literally the house of God, and we're told that Abraham was very rich. But notice in verse 5, Abraham was rich, of course, in cattle, silver, and gold, according to verse 2. But in, chapter, in verse 5, it says, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the idea here is to compare Lot to Abraham, and the comparison is very favorable. Abraham, verse 2, was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. In verse 5, it's almost like verse 5 is saying, Lot, Lot wasn't anything to sneeze at. <laughs> you know, Lot had a lot. <laughs> Lot had stuff. He had tents. He had flocks. He had herds. He was rich like Abraham. That's chapter 13 in verse 5. But if you just turn over a few chapters to the 19th chapter, just a few chapters, just six chapters in the Bible. And you read in verse 30 that at this point in Lot's life, it says, Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar and he dwelt in a cave he and his two daughters. Lot, where are the flocks and the herds and the tents? How did you get from rich like Abraham to hiding in fear in a cave with only your two daughters? What happened to your family? What happened to your substance? What happened to you, Lot? Well, the story of Lot is a sad saga of faithlessness and walking by sight. We heard this morning, and I'm so glad that Brother John Morgan brought that message to us about how we cannot rely on our efforts. And even Abraham, who is called the father of the faithful, he is called the friend of God. Even Abraham had his faults. Even Abraham, many, many times, after having seen the goodness of God, he would still try to work it out on his own. Twice he goes down into, into the land, once in the land of Egypt, once into the land of Abimelech, and, and, he, and he lies about being married to Sarah because he's so afraid that somebody's going to kill him and take Sarah from him, uh, and, and he's willing to sacrifice the honor of his own wife on the altar of self-preservation. And he is also bad to take matters into his own hands and try to help out God. We understand that Ishmael was the product of an illicit relationship that was encouraged by Sarah, his wife, because he didn't think God could get the job done on his own. Abraham was a man. Abraham was 
was just like the rest of us. But the difference in Abraham and Lot is not that they both, that, that one of them had a sin nature and the other didn't. They both had a sin nature. The difference in Abraham and Lot is that Abraham was willing primarily and mostly in his life to walk by faith, trusting in God, even when he could not see the outcome, even when he could not see what was, uh, was going to happen out there. And, and we, know, we know how faithful he was by chapter 22 when we read about what he did there with his own son, Isaac. God said, you know, by this time Abraham has seen a lot too with God, hadn't he? He's seen the faithfulness of God. You know, one of the problems with Lot is that he never saw the faithfulness of God. You know why? Because he was never faithful to God. You know, there, was, there were several times that God appeared to Abraham. We don't read where God appeared to Lot at all. The only time he had an encounter with the supernatural was when he, when he was about to lose everything he had, and then he was in great fear. Abraham was in fear when he met God, but God comforted him and God encouraged him and God fulfilled his promises to him uh, that he made. You know, Lot didn't make any promise. I mean, God didn't make any promises to Lot, did he? (laughs) Now, now, wait a minute. I'm not talking about eternally. I'm not talking. We're going to see, praise his name, that he is a faithful God even unto death and eternity when it comes to our eternal destination. But in this life... Abraham received several promises from God, had several encounters with God, whereas Lot didn't seem to have any encounters with God. But you know the difference? Abraham was trying to be faithful to God. I don't want to just hear about God from your experience. I want to experience the faithfulness of God. Now, he's always faithful. You understand what I'm saying? He's always faithful to us. He never will leave us, never forsake us. He's always there. But oftentimes, when we're not seeking him, he was, he was faithful to the prodigal son. But the prodigal son had no conception of what God was doing in his life because his, his, his focus was upon the world. And that's the problem with Lot. Lot's focus was upon the world. So what's the problem? How did Lot get from flocks and herds and tents to hiding in fear in a cave? Well, it, it was a long, sad saga. And I'm sorry to say his own Uncle Abraham had somewhat to do with it. Remember what I told you earlier that chapter 12 tells us about how that, how that Abraham, in verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Abram, and sometimes I'll say Abram, sometimes I'll say Abraham. Don't pay any attention to that because I, I just inter, use them interchangeably. Right now he's called Abram. Eventually he'll be renamed Abraham, but he's still the same man. Abram went down to Egypt because there was a famine that was grievous in the land. And, and remember what Egypt represents. Egypt represents the world. Egypt, to my knowledge, I never find anywhere in the Word of God, Brother Buddy may correct me on this, or Brother Ronnie, or Brother John Morgan, but I never find in the Word of God where Egypt is ever used in a positive way. Nowhere are we told to go to Egypt for help. We're always being told to get out of Egypt and get Egypt out of you. (laughs) 
Because that's part of the problem with Lot here. Abraham uh, went down into Egypt and he took his young nephew with him, Lot, with his flocks and his herds and his tents and his family. But the problem with Lot is Abraham came back out of Egypt. But when Abram came out of Egypt with Lot, Egypt was still in Lot. And notice what it says happened. In verse 7 of chapter 13 of Genesis, there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled in in the land. There was, there were, you know, I think that's important. You say, why did he put that in there? People are watching. People are watching. Notice, it's, you know, this is the, 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 the kingdom of God right now. The intact kingdom of God right now is Abram and Lot and his, all of the family there. And I want to tell you, beloved, when, when, as, as the kingdom of God, the visible aspect of the kingdom of God on earth, as the church of God here, people are watching us. People on the outside are looking in. People out there are listening to what we say and how we talk. People out there are watching how we deal with each other. You know, it, it can be that uh, uh, they're not here necessarily on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. But they see us out in the world. They see how we deal with others in the world. The Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. It, and I think the point that he's making there, there's nothing in here just to take up space. I think the point is there were others there that were watching what was going to happen here. Sort of a test, if you will. Well, Abraham passes the test. He says there was a strife here. I'm sure these were looking at on the outside looking in and saying, how are they going to handle this? Are they going to handle it like we would go to war with each other? <laughs> Mostly that's what would happen. They, we're going to fight it out. You know, isn't that what happens in the world today? Somebody challenges you in your, in your climb up the ladder of success. What do you do? Well, the world says knock him off the ladder. <laughs> Get into a fight with him. Show him who's boss. <clears throat> The Bible says something totally different. The Bible says, you know, let him be the boss. Let him be the boss. Humble yourself before God. That's what Abraham did. Abram said unto Lot, now remember, Abram is the elder. He's his uncle. He's the head of the family. He could have said, Lot, shut your mouth, sit down, and get your people under control because I'm in charge. But notice what Abram did. Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. And that reminds me of a, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Boy, I, I could stop right here, Brother Putty, and preach a whole message on how we ought to deal with each other in church. You know, that's, is, is, it, is, it, is it our approach to the church business? Or, uh, the, the stuff that we do here of, well, I think it ought to be this way and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to politic to get my, my way passed. <laughs> or I'm going to show them, I got more people on my side than this faction has on their side. I'm going to show them. You know, there was a church that tried to do that for, in the book of Corinthians. First Corinthians tells us about that. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Jesus. You know, that's, I, you know what that guy was. He was trying to trump everybody. You know, you got those folks. He, you know, he's, well, I was baptized by Paul. Well, I was baptized by, I'm of Jesus. <laughs> you know, he's trying, and that just wasn't really trying to be, make peace. He was trying to trump them all and say, I ought to be on top. 
But Abram said, let's don't have problems. Let's work this out. I don't, listen, I want to, we're brethren. I don't want problems. That ought to be our approach. And, and let me just say this, I'm not preaching at you because it's not. I'm thankful for you that that is your approach. I've not seen anything but that in the 10 years we've been here at this church. Praise God for that, but let's strive to keep it that way. Is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Boy, that's a, that's a godly attitude, isn't it? And, and here we see the first difference between Abraham and Lot. Abraham was willing to leave his fate in the hands of a loving God and not try to work it out himself. Lot, on the other hand, lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. He, he's, he's looking, he's, Abraham is walking by faith, trusting God. Lot is walking by sight, trusting his circumstances and his ability to work through them. And notice how logical and commonsensical his decision was. It says, he looked out on this plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. And I, I, I think the Lord is just, he always gives us a little foreshadowing. And, and, and it's, it's really sad to me. It's kind of a, notice what he says. He said, he looked and he saw that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, something's not right about this decision lot. Now, now he's, and God's telling us as we read it through the inspiration and these inspired words, don't get too excited about Lot's decision because something bad is coming. And now look, he says, It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Here we find, as I said, one of the first problems with Lot's decision-making. Abraham was walking by faith. Lot was walking by sight. And the problem with Lot's sight is that he had his sight set on Egypt. Egypt, he may have been out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of him. And, and I'm sorry to say that Abraham was part of the problem here. Beloved, remember this. In your walk... In your daily walk, yours and my daily walk, we can be a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters. If we decide we, you know, maybe you're stronger, uh, uh, maybe you're stronger than I am. And I look at you and I see, well, he goes down into Egypt and then he comes back. He's, he's, he's going out in the world and doing some things he shouldn't, but then he comes back and he's, he's you know, somehow, uh, for whatever reason, he's able to, you're able to, uh, to, to stand stronger and be faithful even after having been out in the world. But maybe I can't do that. Maybe I'm not able to do that. And let me just say to you parents, don't ever assume that you can live one way uh, before your children and expect them to act a different way. When you live in a certain way, they're going to live that way as well. Now, I know we can't be perfect, and Lord, the Lord knows I'm not perfect. My family knows I'm not perfect. But I'll tell you, beloved, if we don't strive to live in a godly way within our homes, then, then it's the same thing as Abraham going down into Egypt. 
If we love the world, we can't help but expect our children to love the world, our family to love the world. <clears throat> Abram, Abram had gone into Egypt and he had taken Lot with him and apparently Lot liked what he saw because he saw something similar in the plain of Jordan. And it says, based on his sight, Lot chose him, verse 11, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And we're told that Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and notice this, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Here's the second problem. Egypt was in Lot's eyes, but Sodom was in Lot's neighborhood. <clears throat> because of the Egypt in his eyes, because of the world in his vision, because of his desire for the things of the world, because of his desire to work it out himself, because of the circumstances that he saw, he made a fatal mistake that led to horrible consequences. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now notice at this point, he has some really good justifications for doing this. I mean, it looks like the thing to do. It looks like the best place. It's well watered. The circumstances seem to dictate, you know, hey, why not go down there? Well, I know Sodom is over here in my neighborhood, but I'm not in Sodom. I'm not living in Sodom. I'm just pitching my tent towards Sodom. In other words, I still remember what my uncle Abraham told me. I, I want to keep one foot in the kingdom of God, but, but I want to put my other foot over here as close as I can to the world. You know, you ever, and this is a, the dumbest, one of the dumbest things I ever did in my life. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't much of a basketball player, Brother Glendon, at all. Still not much of a basketball watcher, even. I can't, can't tell you what, you know, I, I know there's fouls and, you know, you can't hit somebody upside the head. But other than that, that's about all I know about basketball. Uh, I know you got to get it in the basket and that sort of thing. But when I was sixth, seventh grade, I went out for basketball, and we had a little exhibition game. And, and I can remember this as vividly as, as, as anything in my life. So I, I got, the ball was passed to me, and I was in the corner, okay? And here was the white line here and a white line here. And I looked down, I saw that white line, and I said to myself, I wonder if I can just touch the line and still be in bounds. And, you know, my smart self, I said, well, we'll just see. And I, I'm not going over the line. I just want to see if I... So I step and I touch the line. Get, you know what happened. The whistle blows, the other team gets the ball. And the others on my team were looking at me like, are you an idiot? <laughs> you know, I guess I was. But, uh, but, but you see, what I did there is I got too close to the line. I was fine where I was. I could have stayed. In fact, what I should have done is moved the other direction. But no, I was going to get as close as I could and see if I could stay, still stay clean, if you will, but instead I was fouled. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what Lot's doing here. He said, you know, I'm just going to pitch my tent towards Sodom. I'm not going to get inside. I can almost hear the conversation between him and Abraham because, you see, 
This, is, this was apparently well known, verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This wasn't a secret. This was no secret. He didn't go down there and discover this. This was a clear, it was obviously well known. I can almost hear the conversation with Abraham. Are you sure about that lot? Those, those guys are pretty wicked down there. Those men are terrible sinners. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to move in with them. I'm just going to live down there close to them. I, I'll get the last house on the row in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'll I still be able to, to be over here in Canaan with you a little bit. But now there may be times. There may be stuff going on in Sodom that caused me to, to, to have to miss some things. But I'll be here most of the time. See where I'm going with this? See how it applies to us? Now listen, you're not talking to a, to a perfect man. You're talking to a preacher who, who sees himself as a bigger sinner than anybody in the congregation. I have no doubts that if you compared your life to mine, that when it was all said and done, we'd all agree that my sins outweigh yours. Now, we know we're not supposed to be comparing ourselves among ourselves. That's not wise. But I'm just saying for purposes of this message, I see myself as the greatest sinner here. I've never, I don't expect perfect uh, conduct from you, you in the congregation. I don't, listen, I don't even expect perfect attendance from the congregation. I, I don't, I understand. I'm not justified to understand. I'm not, ex my expectations are not so high that I expect that everybody's going to be here every time the doors are open, all that. But let me just say this. I'm sure that Lot intended, let me back up and rephrase that. I'm sure that Lot never intended his proximity to Sodom to impact his fellowship with Abraham or his worship of God. Okay? So part of my duties as pastor is to preach to you the warning of the watchman on the wall. Simply this. Don't get too close to Sodom. Okay? Don't get too close to Egypt. Don't pitch your tent towards Sodom. Don't get tied up with Sodom because you're going to have problems. You say, well, I just, I just have to be here instead of church every once in a while. That may be the way it starts. <laughs> I just, I, I know I've given and given and given of my time and my material things to the church, but I just, I just need a little me time. You know, my problem with that, I, I get it. You know, the problem with my me time is it usually turns into really bad time for me. <laughs> you know, I'm not that, I'm not, <laughs> there's been a few times when I've had to be away from home and, uh, you know, maybe go to a conference or something and Sherry couldn't go, the kids couldn't go. And I go down there and I'm thinking, ah, this won't be too bad. I'll get some rest and I'll get to spend time, you know, Reading the Bible and doing all this. You know how much Bible reading I get done sometimes on those trips? Big fat zero. You know why? Because I get distracted by stuff that's going on. Me time is not 
all that good a time for me sometimes. <clears throat> you say, well, wait a minute, aren't you sounding the alarm, preacher? Aren't you being a little over the top? Let's keep reading about Lot. You see, he only pitched his tent toward Sodom. He didn't really go down into Sodom, right? Well, the Bible switches scenes and begins to talk about Abraham and God's, God's encounters, uh, Abraham's encounters with God. And then in chapter 14, we read about a big war that occurred. And we're not going to go into all the details except to just say that Sodom and Gomorrah were part of this war and Lot was affected by this war. In fact, Lot was taken captive by the other side in this war and taken away, kidnapped with all of his goods and all of his, all of his family. And, and notice, though, what I really, all I really want us to get out of this is verse 12 of chapter 14. It says, They took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. You know what happens when you pitch your tent towards Sodom and you don't take steps to, re to remove yourself, before you know it, you're living in Sodom. Now, it may have been that he picked up and moved inside the city walls of Sodom. It may be that Sodom picked up its city walls and moved to where Lot was. You know, cities do that. I can remember, you know, think about, I was preaching one time at an independent Baptist church up in Birmingham, up in Roebuck. And at that time, uh, uh, that church was in one of the worst sections of town, so bad that the preacher told me, we were staying, we were spending the night with a the preacher. There was a, there was a parsonage right next door to the church. Uh, they didn't live there all the time, but they'd come there on the weekends and stay. And the preacher said, if somebody knocks on the door, do not answer it because this is a bad neighborhood. But in talking to one of the members the next day, they were telling me about how at one time that church was in a field. It wasn't surrounded by any houses, hardly anywhere nearby. It was a beautiful scenery out there, a beautiful place. Now it was, it was right in the middle of one of the worst sections. You know what happened? They didn't pick the church up and move it to that section. That bad section came out and encompassed the church. When you pitch your tent towards Sodom, don't expect everything to stay the same. If you don't go to Sodom, Sodom will come to you. And that's what may have happened here. I don't know if he, he moved or if Sodom moved to him, but be that as it may, by the time of this war, I don't know how many months or years passed, but by the time of this war, he was dwelling in Sodom. Thing... <laughs> The things of this world do not stay static, my friends. Sin is not something you can compartmentalize. Sin in your life is not something that you, you can compartmentalize. God doesn't ever, He doesn't say, well, just, uh, you know, play around with sin, but not too much. He says we're to mortify our members that are in the flesh. You know what that means? You're trying to kill those fleshly lusts, those fleshly thoughts, those worldly desires. Mortify means to murder. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you, you're supposed to get along with sin, does it? It doesn't say like, seem, sound like God saying, well, I know, I know boys will be boys. <laughs> you got to sow your wild oats. It's okay. Just, you know, come back to me one day. <laughs> We hear that in the world a lot, don't we? Boys will be boys. They gotta, you know. 
God said, mortify, mortify your members. <clears throat> Don't you pitch your tent towards Sodom, because the next thing you know, you're going to be dwelling in Sodom. Now, let me, let me take just a quick time out from the progress of our sermon and say this about, I, I don't want you to get the idea at any point during my sermon that I'm saying that what happened to Lot was inevitable. It was not inevitable. It was not God's will for Lot's life. It was not some fatalistic situation that Lot got into. You say, well, he made the decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom, didn't he? Yes, he did, and that was a bad decision. But Abraham went down into Egypt during a famine, and that was a horrible decision. But you know what Abraham did? He came back out. At any point in this whole, in all this sermon, in this narrative of Lot's life, I want to say to you that Lot, as a child of God, had the choice of whether to stay where he was or to get him out of there. He's dwelling in Sodom. Well, don't, let, let's, before we go there, let me look with me to one more place, the 19th chapter of Genesis. <clears throat> And I don't want to go into the rest of the story yet. I just want to look at the first verse. You know what's happened in between the 14th chapter and the 19th chapter. God has appeared to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness has come up before me, and I'm going to destroy them. And, and then you know that, uh, that Abraham negotiated, if you will, for the life of Lot. And in fact, for the, whole, the life of the whole city, you know, he said, just, Lord, don't destroy it. Ultimately, he got down to ten righteous people. And that's not ten children of God. Who are not talking about the righteousness of Christ here. I'm talking about ten people living righteously. I, I don't believe, I, I, this is me, I, speculation. I can't, could everybody else have been a reprobate? Certainly. I don't believe that. I believe there were probably other children of God living in Sodom at this time, but they were not living like children of God. But be that as it may, that's speculation on my part. I'm just saying to you the righteousness that, that, that they were negotiating over was not the righteousness of eternal redemption, but the righteousness of living a godly life. Verse 19. There came two angels to Sodom at even. And I want you to listen to this. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. What does that mean? I know that's kind of foreign language to us in a sense. Well, in ancient times, someone who sat in the gate of a city was someone who was like a city councilman, a ruler in the city, a judge in the city, judging things. They didn't have separation of powers back then like we have today. We had a judicial branch and a legislative branch and an executive branch. They just kind of had rulers. All the, the judges of Israel weren't judges in black robes. They were leaders who, 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 who meted out judgment and, and, and delivered Israel. Lot is now not just pitching his tent towards Sodom, not just dwelling in Sodom, but Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's, he has a position of power and authority in this wicked 
depraved city. My, oh, my, how things have changed. Lot had tents and herds and flocks. He was comparable to Abraham, who was rich and who was a faithful servant of God. But as he began to drift away from the kingdom of God, as he began, he pitched his tent towards Sodom and kept going down that path. He winds up in a position of leadership there. He, he winds up serving on the city council. And according to God's own testimony, he couldn't find even 10 people in the city that were righteous. And we're told in the book of 2 Peter that he vexed his righteous soul daily and seeing and hearing their evil, wicked deeds. He was sitting in a place where judgment was foreign, where judgment was not to be found, where unrighteousness and ungodliness abounded and it was vexing to his righteous soul. But yet he stayed there. He was right there where he was. Now, all right, now here's, let's take another time out. You say, preacher, I kind of get Lot. You know, I do too. I kind of understand where Lot's coming from. Lot has, has made a bad decision. But he didn't intend to go all the way down and become a sodomite or a citizen of Gomorrah. He just pitched his tent towards Sodom. <clears throat> and he's trying to, maybe he's trying to do right. I don't know. We, we see him, him trying in chapter 19 to do the right thing in some ways. Don't you know he had so many entanglements with Sodom that it would be hard for him to let everything go? He's, he's raising his kids there. Maybe, you know, to put it in modern terms, they're in school there. They're in Little League. <laughs> they're, they're on football teams. They're on basketball teams. They're, they're in the junior league together. The Rotary Club's meeting down here. He might have been president of the Rotary Club. He might have some other entanglement there, uh, some other ties there. Obviously, by this time, um, you know, maybe he's risen up to a point. He, he's obviously risen to a point of authority. Maybe he did so with the thought of, well, I can maybe influence these folks. Maybe I can help them a little bit. But I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm too tied up with this. My, my, my term isn't done. My, 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 my obligations are here. What, in the, what do you expect Lot to do preacher what can he do in a circumstance like that I'll tell you what he can do he can get out of Sodom I, I recognize that it's not easy I recognize that it's hard you may have relationships you may have friendships his children may have been dating the boys of Sodom his daughters were married to men of Sodom. There were some serious relationships there. There were some economic ties there. There were some, probably some social ties there. His wife uh, was even wanting to, uh, to ended up looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. She was obviously enamored with Sodom. But what should Lot have done? Lot should have gotten out. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it hurts, but we always should follow God no matter what, walking by faith. And by the way, that's one reason you should not pitch your tent towards Sodom in the first place. Because the more you stay there, the harder it will be to leave. The more it will hurt, 
when the time comes. And I'll tell you this. <laughs> One of the things about God that almost always comes true. <clears throat> I, I, I'll say always. I'll say always. Always in the case of a child of God. If you won't do it yourself, God may end up doing it for you. If you don't break those ties yourself, God almost always breaks them for you. And when God does it, he does it in a very final and often devastating way. Now, I realize Sodom is the great hyperbole of, of God bringing one of his children out of a situation, a sinful situation they'd gotten themselves in. But just trust me, the Lord is, you know, if, if you're living for the world, the Lord is going to be after you. I heard Sonny Pyle say one time, um, he said, you can, you can either live, live for God and the devil will be after you, or you can live for the devil and God will be after you. <laughs> There's no neutral position, okay? And I'd rather, I'd rather be living for God because I don't want him after me. <laughs> I'd rather have the devil after me than God. Notice what happens. You, you know the rest of the story. He goes, the, the angels have come down there now in chapter 19. Lot rose up to meet them, bowed down before them. I, I just, I have such pity for Lot right here. Lot has gotten himself into a situation that he just doesn't even hardly know how to get out of. I, I, would, I would suspect that, <laughs> that the, uh, the way he's reacting reminds me of... Uh, Someone today who maybe uh, has long neglected the worship of God, long neglected the word of God, and, and suddenly God shows up on his doorstep. <laughs> I could see him going in there trying to dust the Bible off. Say, ooh, we better get the dust off this Bible and look like. You know, I had a, I had a case one time where we were trying to strike a deal with a drug dealer to, um, to turn on some others and give us some information and testify and maybe even work for us. We met him, we met him in Tuscaloosa because we didn't want him to meet, didn't want to meet at Pickens County because we didn't want anybody to take a chance on anybody seeing us meeting with him. So his lawyer and he were going to meet with me and uh, my chief assistant DA. And uh, he didn't know me. The, the guy didn't know me. Um, so <clears throat> I guess the lawyer, I think the lawyer was already upstairs at the Tuscaloosa County Courthouse. And I got on the elevator I knew him. I got on the elevator with the guy. And uh, he was holding a Bible. It had the, had the wrapping on it. You know. Now, <clears throat> we got off the elevator, and I went a different way, and he went another way. And he showed up with his lawyer and sat down with the wrapping paper off the Bible. <laughs> but he had it right there in front of him. He'd heard I was a preacher, and he thought that might help, I guess. And I never could figure out if he recognized me from the elevator or not, but I think he did. 
Let's just say that didn't impress me much, as the song goes. That don't impress me much. Now, not that I'm in any way comparable to the Lord, but I just say that think about where you and I might be if the Lord showed up today at our house. Um, and maybe, you know, there's been times in my life where I've neglected the study of the Word. I've neglected to do what I should I, I would have been embarrassed for God to show up. I believe that's Lot here. He was embarrassed almost for these people to show up. He, he's, he's saying to them, oh, you know, immediately he says, come on inside. Let's get inside. Why was he so insistent on them getting inside? Because he knew what went on outside. He put up with it every night. He probably had become hardened to it. He just, he knew what was happening out there. He knew what was happening around him. He had gotten desensitized to it. But when God showed up, when his... When the angels of God showed up, it reminded him that sin is indeed exceeding sinful. I realize we live in a world today where sin is, is not talked about, where we are desensitized to how wicked and evil sin really is. I get that on our advertisements, on TV, on our TV shows, on the things we read, on the things we see, the things that are talked about in our universities, that are talked about in our workplace. We can get desensitized to it. But let me assure you, child of God, sin is still exceeding sinful. In the sight of God. The next time. Now look I'm preaching to me too. Okay. The next time we come upon a situation. Where the routine. Things that are happening around us. Are sinful ungodly things. Ungodly people talking about ungodly things. Godly people. God's people talking about ungodly things. Using ungodly language. Ask ourselves this question, what if God was in this group, in this conversation? What if God were sitting beside me on the couch? You see, Lot knew what was happening. And, and it says, before they even lay down, the men of Sodom came around this house. You know, the problem in Sodom, by the way, we know that, we know that part... Uh, much of the problem in Sodom was, was homosexuality and rampant fornication, both homosexual and otherwise. But the problem in Sodom wasn't that there were a few people down there or even many people down there of that persuasion. The problem in Sodom was that it was just the public practice. It was the policy. Nobody, you know, they weren't prosecuting it, apparently. He was a man who sat in the gate. Nobody cared that these groups of men came apparently roaming out through the city. It says both old and young. And, and they, this, I'm sure this wasn't the first time this had happened. A stranger had come in, and they had taken them out and abused them, taken them out and abused them on the streets. That's what they wanted to do with these angels. You know the rest of the story. Ultimately, the Lord being faithful, and verse 16 says, The Lord being merciful unto him, they brought Lot forth and they set him in the city out there of Zoar, I believe it was, and spared Lot and his two daughters. His wife was with him initially. She looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. So how did we get here? How do we get here as we bring this to a close? Well, it started out 
with the wrong vision. A vision of Egypt instead of a vision of Canaan. Beloved, I know the world is ever before your face. Every time you turn on the TV, you, every, every, every song you listen to, there's songs out there. I heard one the other day. I listened to it just because I couldn't believe that the lyrics really were what they were. It was horrible. And it was one of the most popular songs out there today. Don't listen to that kind of music. Don't listen to those things that are ungodly. Don't, don't, be, don't fill your mind with ungodliness. With a click of a mouse button, or even better yet, with, with, a, uh, with, with just tapping on an app on the screen here of this phone, I can pull up any, any and all kinds of horrible videos and, and pictures and that sort of thing. Don't do that. Do not have Egypt in your vision. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. I will not think upon a maid. He didn't say look upon a maid because he knew that it wasn't just a look. That You know, if all it was was looking and then you forget it, that'd be one thing. But it's not the way it works. When you look, it gets into your mind. That's the gateway to the mind. Don't think upon these things. Don't look upon them because it'll make you think upon them. Get your vision in the right way in the kingdom of God. And don't get even close to the, to the cities of Sodom in this world. Do not pitch your tent toward Sodom. Because just like the giant in the valley of Elah, Goliath, when we first read about Goliath, he's in the valley. When David gets on the scene, he's challenging. You know, he's challenging the people of God saying, come down and fight me. When David gets there, he looks down there and he asks the question, who is this man who has come up? He's not staying in the valley. The giants, the world will not stay put. It will not stay where you think it is. You cannot compartmentalize it and say, oh, this is just what I do, but I keep that there and I keep my other life over here. That life is like leaven. The world is like leaven. It will infiltrate every part of your life. And before you know it, you're dwelling inside them. And before you know it, you're ruling like Sodom. You're living not just in Sodom. You are in a position in Sodom where you feel like you cannot extricate yourself. But God can. And he often does. And I know this is a sad ending to a man who had great potential. But just to, as we close, let's just remind ourselves of something. Lot was a child of God. You say, I, I'm a child of God. I couldn't do it. No, Lot was a child of God. Well, he doesn't look like one preacher. No, he doesn't. And you can get there too. You can be in the same position Lot is where people will, I know people that I believe, I really do believe are children of God. But I had no evidence, to, very little evidence to prove it, Brother Mackey. Very little. I hope they are. I believe they are, but I don't want when I die for people to have to wonder. Now, I realize I'm a sinner, I'm not, but I hope, I hope when I die and I'm laying prone there in a casket that there's at least somebody out there that says, well, I, I, I think, you know, I believe he's in heaven today. He was a sorry old rascal, but I saw some evidences of grace, you know. 
The only way I really know that Lot's in heaven today, I would really question it if, 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 all I, if all I were left with was Genesis 19 and him trembling in fear in a cave. And you know what else he did in that cave? He got drunk and committed unspeakable sins with his daughters. He does not look like a child of God. But 2 Peter 2 says, talks about God turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and overthrowing them with condemnation and making them an example to all those that after should live ungodly. And in verse 7 it says, He delivered just Lot, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And in case you missed it, he goes on to say, For that righteous man, was he living righteously? No, he wasn't living righteously. He was, an, he was a righteous man living an unrighteous life in an ungodly city. But that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. How can Lot have been a righteous soul? I'll tell you how he can be a righteous soul. Because God imputed the righteousness of Christ to him. He didn't live righteously. He didn't act righteously. Oh, but he was righteous because Jesus Christ lived the righteous life that Lot should have lived. And he died a death that, that Lot couldn't die in order that Lot might live forever with him in heaven. Praise God, Lot is in heaven today. But I don't want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth like Lot. That's a, that's a, I don't mean that. You know what I mean by that. I'm just talking about the fact that I want there to be some evidence this year that I am a child of God. Lot didn't get there overnight, and you won't either. It'll be a long, slow, sad decline. But remember this. <laughs> At any point in this process, Lot could have turned around. At any point in this process, before the destruction of Sodom, Lot could have said, you know, honey, this isn't right. This isn't the place we need to be raising our children. This isn't the way we need to be raising our children. We need to go back to Bethel. You know, Abraham went back to Bethel so many times in his life. Back to the house of God, to the place where he, where he communed with God. Lot could have done the same. And beloved, I want you to know, if you feel yourself to pitch your tent toward Sodom, if you feel yourself to be in Sodom tonight, you can go back to Bethel. You can go back to the place where you know God is. And let me just say that right here in this place, that's the place you need to be. Say, preacher, I've had trouble. I've had struggles being here. I've had struggles. I've got obligations in the world. Sever those ties. Get back in church. Sever those relationships that are pulling you away from church, pulling you away from the truths of God's word. Sever those relationships and come back to Bethel. Back to the house of God, I promise you, you will never regret it. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.